0: What's up everybody hello and welcome to the first ever episode 44 of the best seats podcast the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the Southern California hospitality industry from Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode I am your host Croft McCarthy founder of the best seats thank you to my friend Allie Coyle for providing music for the show you can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com and as a reminder If you enjoy the show, wherever you're listening to it, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review. It helps other folks find it. Oh, what an episode we have ahead of us. It is only picking up steam as we get vaccinations up and we get case numbers down and indoor dining is back. Thank God. It seems more and more like we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I am so excited by that. You should be excited by that. And my guest for this episode is excited by that. Real quick, before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by HireLilo.com and HeirloomPotage.com. But more of that later, my guest for this episode is Mark Shelton, owner and operator of Lock & Key Up & Downy, as well as Paper Pizza Co. I am fired up for this episode. Um This was a very, very cool one. I'm trying to expand more and more and give more people a voice. Uh, You know, I'm based in Southern California. Obviously, for those of you that have been listening for a while, there's been episodes featuring people from Chicago, New York, uh, Miami, and so on. You know, just kind of all over, which is the goal. But obviously, this being an Orange County-based podcast in Southern California as a whole, the goal is to expand beyond my region. And getting up into Downey is a perfect way to do that. Connecting with Mark was a huge opportunity. I have known about Paper Pizza Co. for a while. Lock and Key has obviously been an institution in that area for a while. Um, this was a great sit-down to be able to sit down in his place and talk about kind of the state of the industry. Uh, we recorded this before indoor dining had come back, and Southern California had kind of dropped our tiers as you know, this state sits in the tier system. For those of you that are listening out of state, it was very, very nice to do this. Sitting inside of a place, you know, safe as always, obviously there's been in-person interviews before, but to sit down and talk with somebody and continue to hear the experiences and the stories of everybody in the hospitality industry that's fighting day in and day out to make their dream survive and ultimately provide something fantastic for guests. You know, that hustle is real and Mark is a hustler and somebody that I have a lot of respect for, you know, sitting down with him for this interview only increased that respect. Um, And it's a big one. It's a big one. It's a great one. You know, this will have been the last uh, podcast recorded before Indoor Dining came back. And, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel really got a little bit brighter. So there's a ton of information in this one. You know, we go on for a while. This is a big one. I hope you enjoy it. I got nothing else to say. You got a long podcast to listen to. But trust me, you're going to love every single second of it with my guest for this episode, of the Best Seats Podcast, Mark Shelton. Enjoy. Uh, Mark, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sitting down. I have been very excited to do this one. Um, This place is some place that's been on my radar. I've loved kind of what you guys have been doing even though it's recently open, relatively speaking, for the hospitality community. For folks listening that may not be familiar with you or your background, or the restaurants, because we're going to talk on both of them. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving your background a little?
1: Yeah, so my name is Mark Shelton. Um, I have uh, been in this I- business, in, in this industry, I guess, since I was 18 years old. Started off as a uh, server over at Olive Garden. Um, learned kind of the, the way to run around a restaurant then. Uh, my father was opening up a restaurant himself, a Mexican restaurant in Downey, and uh, opened that up with a partner. And I, at that time, I was still going to Long Beach State, ran all the marketing and and kind of operations for him um, over at that spot. And we ended up selling that out, taking over the food and beverage at at the golf course over at the uh, Rio Hondo golf course, also in Downey. Uh, Did that for about 15 years, doing weddings and quinceaneras and, you know, 100-person parties to 500-person parties and offside catering. So it was pretty hectic and crazy, but started kind of losing its lust. I had the The restaurant that was upstairs i started doing craft cocktailing around 2007 always wanted to be the chef i didn't have the time to be able to go out because i was working you know 18 hour days basically when Mm -hmm. you're working with your dad um and making sure that that all the i mean we had a ton of business coming through those doors and uh, it, was, it was busy, so there wasn't a lot of time to kind of escape and go out. My only time would have been to try to go early in the morning, but then golf courses open at 5.30, so it was relatively hard to try to do that. So I got behind the stick uh, at the bar that we had over there called Hackers, and I started kind of cultivating a craft cocktail bar atmosphere that was there, um, able to do a couple pop-ups back then in 2007. Um which I guess we would call them kickbacks back then or something. You yeah, know, where, throwback you know, term and, for them. Invite some friends over and, and see if I had some, you know, to give and to offer. And through that kind of culminated into being able to get a little bit more knowledge. And at that time, some of the new craft cocktailing bars were starting to open. And, uh, you know, went over there and thought that I could make a go of it. And that's where I started kind of putting together my first restaurant where it was uh, called Lock and Key Social Drinkery and Kitchen. So
0: I want to get to Lock and Key in a second because I want to talk about your entire experience, not just in this past year, but kind of as a restaurant tour. Mm-hmm. But tell me about where we are recording now. As you mentioned, we're recording this March 11th, depending on when people hear it. This is a relatively new concept by hospitality terms. So break down the current space.
1: Yeah, this is brand new. So this is uh, Paper Osterie and Pizza Co., uh, we specialize in making our own Italian, bringing in our own, uh, imported flour, uh, from Italy. Uh, well, not our own, but from Caputo flour. Uh, so it's all about ingredients. It's all about quality. We never skimp on that at all. Uh, so we make our own dough. It's all fermented. It takes, an, you know, a, a 24 hours to make our dough. Then we also have, a, our own pasta extruder. So we make our own pasta here too, as well. This would be kind of like those those uh, res- those Michelin star restaurants that you find in Venice, so like more like felix and and you know uh, bestia uh, but in a fast casual type atmosphere so it one by having it as a pizza place it's it people tend to kind of go toward i mean we'll probably get more into this like the the, the obstacles to opening up a pizza place um, but by calling it a pizza co, and uh, I, I think it, it, it makes it a little bit harder to kind of go against the the five ninety nine pizzas and, and trying to be able to when it's something new to the city, uh, trying to re not really educate but just bring more um more knowledge to it to where that different is okay. Yeah, you know? I'm I'm
0: glad you kind of immediately jumped. On the gun on that, like combating the five ninety nine pizza. I've done podcast episodes with people who have run Mexican establishments, barbecue establishments, and I'm an ardent and firm supporter that food is a probably too cheap and b stereotyped as being too cheap. Right? Pizza, especially. Before we get into the pizza that you're making specifically and the kind of journey through that, mm. what would you say to kind of that experience of educating the public on why? the value is there, why that worth is there. Aside from just the ingredients and the obvious facts, there's kind of all that intrinsic thing that kind of goes into it. What's the experience like educating your customers?
1: I mean, it's difficult. You know, it's like trying to get Coke drinkers to drink Pepsi. You know, my father father had passed away last year too, so that's another obstacle in itself. But uh, he always liked Dr. Pepper. If there was Mr. Pibb, he wouldn't drink it. And it was like, dude, it's pretty close to the same thing. But God
0: forbid he sees RC Cola.
1: Yeah. So it was just one of those things where, where for himself, you know, an educated man, very smart, didn't want to bend. You know, they have people have their their uh, their frame of mind their preferences, which is okay. Um, and sometimes they're so hardened by that they don't want to kind of get out of that little uh, that little escape or that little that little kind of uh, ball that they have going on and we, we much like here by educating those we have the same problem that we did at lock and key too as well we were the first craft cocktail bar outside of los angeles really um in 2013 we started opening up 2014 which speaking to cocktail history that would have been just kind of the middle right. of the craft boom yeah and, it was like kind yeah. of yeah because i started putting it all together in 2009 and then it took two years almost three years to build the restaurant um and you know it, there was a lot going on, but nobody really knew, even though it's in LA, people know about craft cocktailing, but when you start getting outside of the city, people don't know what it is. So yeah. it was a much same thing as, you know, serving a, a, a cocktail in a glass and a coop, and then looking at how small that is when you go to like TGI Fridays, cause that was even, uh, that was a, a big drinking area at that time. And they're serving it in 16 ounce pints. Yeah. You know, so it's that, it's that different differentiation that people don't look at, and going like okay well that's fresh juice that's being you know squeezed right before my, right in front of my eyes then a pasteurized lime juice or lemon juice that they're purchasing and buying in and then just mixing it and going yeah. you know um, so it's the same thing here but you know we, we have our tomatoes we have everything we we have to clean them we have to cut them out we have to we have to uh, roast them off like there's a lot of different steps in it so that that also adds to the price of everything that we have going on You know, and it's not an easy thing. You know, it's 24 hours. Like to get a pizza, we can't just make a pizza real quick. Mm -hmm. We have to anticipate the supply and demand that we're going to be having and then cultivate, put that together, work as a team to get all that done, and then hope that we have business coming in the next day to be able to go and sling it out. And there's sometimes where, you know, we've run out of pizza, we've sold out before. You know, so it's It's a good problem to have. It's a good problem, but it's a bad problem when it's like four o'clock. Yeah. So, it's one of those things like, okay, do we go in, do we start pitching yeast and try to get it to go? And then I always, I always like to not waver from the quality. And if we have to shut down, if we have to say we run out, we run out. It's the same thing with, I have a 35-day age, 40-ounce uh, tomahawk over at Lock and Key that we're known for. Um, viral video in 2017 got, I want to say, 74-plus million views. Kind of put us on the map. Collectively, it's probably over 100 million views. And we were, I was buying from everybody at that time. And I had searched so long to get the right product that I wanted. I learned so much in that. Like it was so busy, but there was nothing to be made yep. because I was buying from everybody and you have one mistake. It, now it takes four to, to bring, you know, profit back. Uh, so I learned a lot during that. And like, I learned a lot this last year too, you know, but trying to get people out of their set, their set goals or their, their set end goal as far as for, I want pizza and I remember how I used to eat it when I was little. And getting through that, that nostalgic wall breakthrough um, is tough sometimes, yeah.
0: One of the many, many great kind of food shows on Netflix, I don't remember which one it was, um, Dave Chang, the chef out of, well, pretty much, everywhere. I was gonna say New York, but the whole world, talked about how it was an episode all about pizza and he mentioned Mm. that he doesn't look at Domino's as a pizza company. He looks at them as a technology company because of what they're able to do, their process and stuff like that. When you're building something where the time invested into that pie takes so long, but it is a fast casual concept. You have those days where you sell out things like that. Mm. You're still obviously busy. What is it about? I mean, pizza was one of the few foods in 2020 that, flu. When other restaurants were struggling for takeout, right. pizza was everybody's kind of go-to. What's, how's it been since opening with kind of customers, not just being a new restaurant, but
1: a new restaurant that's offering something that everyone seems to love? Well, the restaurant business in general is hard, you know, and especially when things are peaking. And the time at, at that, that can be kind of a problem at that same time when things get kind of, you know, start, start you know, get, getting trendy and, and have a little bit more eyes on them you start being judged by other things mm-hmm. like, so based on having these huge, the huge pepperoni pizzas that everybody was doing, you know, the square pizzas, there's I mean, there a lot of, nothing that's been new, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you have certain, whether it's on world star or some other type of post that kind of gets it some, some legs and starts running. You know, it, it's, it, it's having to battle that it, it is what's difficult, you know? Uh, so putting this together, it's not like with our pizzas, we, we have to have people, you know, our employees and, and, and staff members that understand the cooking process of it. So for us, it takes about 10 minutes to cook a pizza, but we're constantly rotating it, moving it, elevating it so it can get hot, dry air, lowering it back down. There's a lot involved into that instead of your regular pizza spot, which we're just different. We're not yeah. better than them. We're just different from them. That's all. And when you go to those places where they throw the pizza in on a pie thing and it's just baking, that there's a, it's a lot different. And because we're dine-out only, people can't see us doing all of this extra work. Uh, so it makes it harder for us to let them know that, no, that these are the things of why it's different, because they're just ordering it up. And for us to put on social and these other things People don't have time to watch like really that watch that five minute video, that two minute video. So where they're used to the technology
0: now they're losing that intimacy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why we have a, we have a board right there. We have windows up there so that people would come in and sit up there, Mm -hmm. you know, so they could see us. So we could talk, so we could be putting together a pizza. Hey, try this pepperoni without it being, you know, without it in the oven yet. Now try this after the fact. Yeah. We don't have those, those intimacies that I like to create, like what we did at lock and key. Um, and have that with the guest. That that's the hardest thing right now is trying to develop that intimacy with the guest when it can only be served outside.
0: When did the restaurant open? How old is she?
1: This opened up in uh, we had a grand opening in November. Um, so this is I mean, we, we this did a soft a opening baby. October. Yeah, right when we opened up the day we the day before we opened up, my father passed away. So it was a, it was I'm a real that, quick. Stuff. Thank you. So it was a real like eye opening thing for me. And then having to to battle that and do all that. And then I had great stuff that, that just pushed through while I had to go and, and handle my own things. Uh, and then we get ready for a poise to be able to open up in November and actually do outdoor dining again. Cause you know, or not get not again, but get ready to start pushing for the week for the mm-hmm. December and holiday weekend. And then that's when we get hit with the shutdown again. So, we had maybe about 3 3 to 4 weeks of of soft opening to try to get people to understand what we're doing, but we still couldn't get them inside the restaurant, it had to be all outside. And then right when we go into uh getting excited and getting everything nailed down and start opening the doors basically for outdoor dining, it gets shut down. Yeah. The only thing that did benefit us is that this is something that is used that, that people are used to. Ordering, ordering online or getting to go. Yeah. That this, that's what benefited us the most um, was that it was okay to order pizza. The problem is you take our pizza 15, 20 minutes out. It's mm-hmm. much different. Not that it's less better. It's just different into when you have it fresh right here. And then when you take it home, it's just, yeah, you it's lose just the different. Experience. Yeah. yeah. And, and to be <laughs> reviewed or judged based on that, is somewhat disheartening sometimes because it's like we put a lot of effort and time into finding these things, you know, hydration levels. And when we pitch the yeast, do we put it in at 24 hours? Is, what about 18? What's the chew consistency? Uh, I treat everything like that. It's a science experiment to me, and that's what makes it – that's the fun part of food to me. <clears throat> so having to kind of not be able to showcase that has been the hardest and most difficult thing here.
0: Well, I mean, if the goal was to make money – as I kind of said, you know, mentioned before with other brands, mm. there's faster ways to do it. Why make it so difficult? Why fly in the items from Italy? Why put in that kind of effort? What's the drive for you
1: behind the, it? The drive for me is well, one, I already have an issue eating pizza, you know, with the flour and gluten and everything, and not that I'm, you know, a uh, 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 you know anti-gluten, but um, they treat their product a lot different than what we have over in the states. The flour, mm-hmm. so. We chose a flower over there, like with Copudo, there's zero pesticides, non-GMO, it's basically organic, stamp, Um, and it chews a lot differently than what we have over here, and I like that, and my staff likes that, so it was more about having something that's different, and educating and doing that thing. I already did it with the other restaurants, so it it was like, okay, well, let's just go in and move forward with this also, too, as well, and the only thing is that it was just hit in a, the wrong, wrong place, wrong time. I mean, we, ha- we have our fans and we, we, we love pushing it out. Uh, but this is about, you know, figuring out, you know, uh, what's the next step in everything of how to, how, how to put some things together for over here, you know, cause it, cause it is, we are more of a restaurant, like, than we like a sit down restaurant than yeah. we are like to go. And, you know, and right now we're forced to basically just do to go.
0: Yeah. It, it, again, the, the day that we're recording this, uh, depending on when people listen, we're still waiting on the announcement for indoor dining to return. It's kind of been rumored for the past two weeks. Rumor is it'll happen next week. We're recording this on a Thursday. Supposedly by Monday, it's going to come back. You're somebody who is without a doubt a veteran of the hospitality industry, as you said, with your background, even as somebody with that much experience, the success of opening lock and key and everything else that you've done, what's the process been like for you in 2020 aside from the tragic loss of your father opening a new restaurant under everything that was going on even a fast casual which again is a, you know you take some of those stresses away but what was that kind of journey like for you in 2020 getting this open
1: i mean we were poised to open up right in march so it was one of those things like you gotta be you know shitting me that we gotta shut this down right now um and then it was trying you can't you really can't find staff so we had Yeah. Go and then have our own stuff. Try to learn for going from cooking prime steaks to now. Okay, well now we're in the pizza game, and now we got to start doing this. So there had been a lot of obstacles. You know, it was it was tough for sure. Uh, you, you know, you talk about it maybe being open up next week. I I don't know. Politic. I am not a political person. Um, you know, I I don't claim to be one or the other or anything. Uh, but just how it's all been treated in California. Uh, seems very political. Um, Texas just opened up. Florida's been opened up. There's no mask mandate in Texas. Um, they're going to be, I guess, the guinea pig. Uh, the day that they do that, you have Newsom stating that that's reckless. Mm-hmm. So it it almost scares me by him saying that. That when is it going to be allowed then? Because he he can't say that and then open up dining. or 50%, which 25% doesn't help anybody. No, Uh, No,
0: you're almost doing more harm than good just based on your staff costs and everything else. Right.
1: So by doing that, what do you start saying to your own constituents by saying, oh, that's reckless and then opening up two weeks later, then what do you, then you piss everybody off on the other side who's just like, we should have had this freaking a long time ago. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, now, I had COVID, so I know, like, and I know some people who have had it. I didn't get it at work. You know, I got it uh, from uh, my my uh, fiancé who, who uh, got it from work, we believe, or somewhere. I, I don't know. But I, I ended up getting it. Um, so, I know how it is. I, I have friends whose family members have passed away. It's a scary thing, you know. Um, it's a real thing. But it's kind of like the more harm than good by being able to like lock everything down. And that, that's been like the, the, the hardest thing is trying to figure out, okay, what's the game plan? Because things have changed a lot dramatically into, okay, now, now you see restaurants doing family packs that would never do family packs or anything before trying to survive, trying to do that. Now I, I was selling, you know, prime steaks. That's not what you usually order to go for takeout. Yeah. Know? I don't, I don't see a lot of your tomahawks going in styrofoam to
0: go. Th- but we containers. still
1: sold a lot. I mean, I have a nice pizza box over there <laughs> that we we do it nicely and, and it, it comes out great. And, and, and depending on the customer, we can kind of change it up. But over at paper, you know, we were lucky enough to be able to, to be poison ready for a takeout business that in all honesty, it, it, it like it did take off, like it, it was good, um, and, and we did, and we did are doing still well with it. Yeah, but it's still trying to figure out that dynamic of howing to of being so pigeonholed into one thing to now trying to get guests to be comfortable to come down and to understand that it is a restaurant and not the five ninety nine dollars pizza, five ninety nine pizza that we were talking about before.
0: Was there any advantage to setting up the concept as a fast casual? There were a lot of chefs with you know high end restaurants, Orange County, Los Angeles, wherever. That had a lot of fast casual concepts under their belt. There's an economic advantage to it. Obviously, there's kind of labor costs that are different. You're not worrying about kind of service, table service, things like that. Did setting it up as a fast casual initially help at all with the fact that it has been so kind of shut down, inconsistent
1: all over the place? N- uh, not really. I, it, just know, didn't had, at all. it doesn't change. It didn't really change at all. It, it, like the restaurant's still opening a restaurant. I mean, whether yeah. you have 25 servers or, or just four people behind, everybody's got to be able to learn and. and and process information and being able to relay that to the guests the problem is is that while you're six feet apart can't be indoors can't do all these things training and everything gets kind of not pushed to the side but it all becomes like hey here's the packet read it um and it becomes harder to have that intimate thing where you get to talk and 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 create those things you know and at a time when it was at its highest point is like right when we opened up so it was kind of we were just on our heels yeah yeah um well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah.
0: The last year provided so many challenges for restaurant owners. Now that they're finally getting a chance to open their doors again to the public, it can only be an exciting thing. However, some of those challenges still remain, like hiring new staff after having to let go of them for almost an entire year. That's where Hire Lilo comes in, custom-built from the ground up, by hospitality professionals, HireLilo is your destination for restaurant hiring. Applicants can create resumes on the site, set up meetings, use the virtual messaging system to communicate with potential hirees, and more. Restaurants also have a multitude of options to choose from, including selecting mandatory shifts for specific positions and more. The website is easy to use and is a perfect build out for the hospitality industry. None of the other fancy stuff or trying to compete with every other industry on the planet for new hires. As I said, It is hospitality-specific, making it your destination for hiring. Using the promo code STAYSTRONG, all one word, you can create a free job posting today and start to fill those hiring voids. Lilo provides on-site help. They'll sit down and make sure that your restaurant is set up and properly ready to go and that you can utilize all the features Lilo offers. To learn more or to create an account and get job posting now, go to HireLilo.com. That's H-I-R-E-L-I-L-O. Dot com. Once again, that's hirelilo.com. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, Potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's yeah, yeah. Um People who listen to the show, who support on Patreon, can write in and ask questions. And the universal question I got that people wanted to ask is pineapple on a pizza. <laughs> For or against? I mean, you want to talk politics or controversial. Talk about pineapple on a pizza. You will ignite Twitter on that.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I know. I talk so much. We had talked (laughs) shit about this before. Um, So here's the thing. I've always been pro whatever the the fuck you want to eat. I'm okay with that. I don't have any things, no qualms or anything. The thing is, is just like anything outside. You can do whatever you want, but you don't have to force that opinion down our throats. So that's one thing. Two, I hate pineapple chunks on pizza. Now we've developed a different type of pizza, different type of pineapple because I took it upon myself with my staff to go like, okay, I hate this. Just like I hate fucking ranch. I hate (laughs) ranch with a passion. Um, But I always tell like my kids and everybody, like, doesn't matter if you don't like it, you got to taste it. You got to figure out how to make that better. Right. So we have a ranch that we have over at the restaurant in here that I can eat like, because you know, I, I despise it, you know, but for me, the fibrous bite of pineapple and that, that large amount of a city that goes into it and water that's in it messes up the pizza for me. Um, I would not order it. I'm not going to make fun of anybody uh, that I don't know that orders it. But if, you know, my family members or something, I'd be like, Do you, you know, what are you doing? But if somebody's going to listen to this episode in their car and just pull over to the "Motherfucker, yeah, talking this fucking shit. Guy. Yeah. But. Yeah, we, so, so we developed a, a kind of a pizza that we would like to have here. Um, it does play on that, but it's more of like a, a pineapple puree that we put on it. Mm-hmm. And then we get, to, we, we get to kind of combat the acidity that's inside that pineapple. You, we don't know what a pineapple is when, you, when yeah. you cut it down, when you do it. And that's the geeky part of what, like what we do or what I do is going, okay, well, that's super acidic. There's no consistency in that. It's hit or miss. That's more just biting into like, people's nostalgic play. Yeah which I'm not opposed to, um, I just, to cut down pineapples and to do all of that is, is is difficult. Then you got to keep it there. And so we went with more of the puree. There's some people that loved it and some people that fucking despise it and didn't even want to see it um, because we eat with our eyes too. You know, it's yellow, it's pretty and everything and, and it's sweet and, and I understand why people like it. I just, that fibrous bite to me. It's like having a uh, apple pie. Yeah that's not fucking cooked all the way. Like, you know, where it's <laughs> yeah, like, it's kind of like the fuck is this? Like, that's what it feels like when I bite into a pineapple, uh, pizza like that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a, hard, it's a tough thing. Cause I'm always on like, dude, like at the restaurant, you, it's $145, 35 day age, Tomahawk, prim, USDA prime, cast iron, seared, buttered, reverse seared, everything. Like we, we, we pay attention to the meat. And you want to order it well done. It, uh,
0: you should be put on the no fly list.
1: Yeah. Yes. But it's your experience. And who am I to say, like, I, for as far as for if you want to burn a piece of meat, that's fine. I get it. And then there's also, too, where people don't, that's the other, the understanding is like, well, how were they raised into, like, who, 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 <laughs> who, who talked to them about this? Who hurt Do you? they think it's yeah. blood? it's myoglobin not not hemoglobin so it's a iron rich water and that's why it turns red because it you know it oxidizes so mm-hmm. there's no blood in it. it runs blood runs through veins and arteries and not through muscles so there like i know that stuff and when i do talk to people they go oh okay cool well i'll still take it medium rare you know it's one of those things where you'd have to be blind taste test close your eyes now chase it oh it tastes much better this way or it's softer or more tender but my dad ordered uh, well-done steaks all the time. You know, and, I, and I know some, I, I know, uh, it, some that have religious uh, confirmations and biases about ordering it. True. Less than yeah. well done for that. So for me, if I start saying something that I have no idea who you are at the table, this is what I try to tell everybody too, is like you don't know where they came from, what they believe in, anything else. And by respecting their ability to be able to have like they can make up their own mind. If you decided to ruin a piece of meat, that's on you. And we'll cook it and we'll do that. Uh, but that's, that's on them. And for me, it's a hard, because I've always said, even with drinking, like for a craft cocktail, there's no right way to drink. There's just your way to drink. Yeah. But there are two things. There's appreciation and then there's for fun. And you can never mix the two, ever. So you either drink for appreciation, that would be trying a, a new whiskey, right, um, or a bourbon or a scotch with no ice in it you know, just how it's supposed to be neat. Then there's for fun where you're having a bourbon sour or these other things where it doesn't really matter what's inside it um, and you just go for it, yeah. you know, um, like a shot. A shot is for fun, but you always have that one friend who wants to talk about like, oh, this this is this rum from here and there and they age it for this long and they turn the barrels every every six months. You know, that that's great, but then you're trying to mix the two and it never works. Yeah, that person just sounds pretentious and yeah get that that neat or put that actually in a cocktail yeah yeah oh why did you put that ice in it like well okay like (laughs) dude on your own time that's cool but for me it's it's eat it the way you like um but have respect also too for what other people are doing as well you know, if you don't have pineapple, okay, you don't have pineapple. But that goes back to my dad going, well, I won't drink Mr. Pip." Like, I'll drink Mr. Pip If it's there, like, okay, I'll have it. If, that's you know. all, if, like, I'm at a wedding bar and they have Heineken, I'm drinking Heineken. <laughs> you know, like, it is what it is. I'm not going to be the guy pitching a bitch over in the side going, like, I can't believe it. I'm going to go buy my own Miller Lite or my own <laughs> Coors Light or something. What do you, you mean
0: know? you don't have a triple hazy IPA?
1: God yeah, damn it. Right? It's just one of those things. I, I have my qualms about certain food things, but... I'd never extend that out to the people, but I also don't want it shoved down my throat. The fact that one is better than the other, it's not, it's just different. And I don't think in, in this day and age, it, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like they have their, their ways to do it. Like, why do we have, why are you, why do you do 24 month aged Parmesan cheese? Why don't you have craft cheese? Well, because it has like cellulose fibers that are in it, that are pieces of wood that you're not even able to, to digest. And I don't want my kids eating it when they're here. And plus it doesn't taste good. Yeah. But they want that nostalgic. But I mean, I, I, or craft, you know, macaroni and cheese. It, you yeah, know that nuclear box. that nuclear orange <laughs> that yellow that does not exist in
0: nature. <laughs> there's been so much talk in the past year, rightfully so, about independent restaurants and that difference of getting away from kind of the corporate structure to those kind of family run places. I mean, the amount of care and the amount of education and things like that that you put into just the pizza alone. When again, there's so many major businesses that make it just on kind of the technological standpoint of make it in 30 seconds put it in the oven and deliver it to the person the interesting thing about this location um is again on one side you got a mcdonald's right across from you on the other side there's a a golden corral i mean this is i can't think of a better metaphor for the restaurant industry in 2020 than corporation independent corporation Mm -hmm. from your standpoint you know, it, it, we're not out of it yet. Obviously, um, vaccines are moving, we're supposed to be dropping tears. It, it feels like we're on the tail end of this thing, knock on wood. What do you see for the industry kind of moving forward? I mean, is it, is it going to go back to the way it is? Is it still, I mean, there's always going to be the corporate side and the independent side, but as somebody who is sitting in a literal metaphor of kind of the struggles that the hospitality industry deals with, what does the future look like for you?
1: for me well hopefully it's still that i have some restaurants to go through so it, the, here's the problem that everybody that we have heard about the shutdowns come back open i've had people even tell me well thank god that you can do takeout and i'm like okay well i don't let's say at lock i don't do a lot of takeout so that completely changes the dynamic of the restaurant mm. and then for me i don't want to lose or deteriorate the brand at all over there for over here we're still not really a takeout restaurant although we do a lot of takeout um But we want people sitting down and doing this things here and enjoying it and smiling and cheersing and, you know, and and asking, oh, what's that? And giving taste, you know, so that's what we want to do. Hopefully that's still the game. I mean, it does seem like people have not experienced so much in about a year that it's I feel like once the floodgates open, it's going to go right back to normal. I really do feel like that. And then everybody's going to lose their fucking mind when, oh, there's the, the COVID-24, COVID you know, or whatever ends up happening again. Yeah. Um, and it's all going to, it's, it's going to start feeling it again. The nice thing about it moving forward is that we've all kind of dealt with something like this now. We've done, we've had the real estate crash. We've had this. I mean, we, we've dealt with this before. It just wasn't so... <laughs> I want to be very, very calm. Like I want to hold back from a lot. I want to say, but it just seems like it was very opportunistic, although it is a very real thing. Um, and it seems we've dealt with things like this with like H1N1 and these other things, but never this big lockdown. And we honestly don't know what the hell is happened to any type of psyche or anything for a good three, four years, maybe even 10 years out to what our kids are doing. Um, and knowing what the real landscape looks like for the future. I've always tried to be, you know, trying to look for the future of trying to do things and trying to get ahead of trends and try to start my own, you know, trends and everything. It's the reason why we we're doing the steak and everything else, you know. And so I hope it's 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 a bright future. Um, I, I feel like people want to go out and experience things. So that, that's the reason why we create these restaurants, right? Because we want people to come in here, have fun. You know, have, have proposals. You know, and have a girls' girls' day, girls' night. You know, brunch thing. Yeah, you know, that, that's the reason why we put all this together is to to have everybody laugh and joke and have a good time. Uh, hopefully, that comes back. I'm, I think there's a lot of people out there that want it to come back. And as long as we keep delivering the experiences the way that they that everybody would like to have them, then I think we'll be okay. Um, but I don't know. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I've always said adapt or die. So figure it out. Yeah. You know, um, so that's from us going from, from the, from there to a pizza spot, to be able to do takeout to also, you know, starting, you know, uh, a liquor store business too that, that that's in the works right now. So there's a lot that's out there. Uh, that we're, I'm trying to pivot it and learn. I mean, I'm also a real estate broker. I got a lot of other things like things in the fire. I got three kids, you know. So it, it's it's intense right now for sure. Yeah, you but, really do not like to sleep, do you? Uh, I I love sleep. <laughs> uh, I love sleep like I like steak. You know, it's one of those things like you don't get it a lot, but when you need when you get it and you lo- and you and you had it, then you love it. You know, and, and it's, it's definitely a recharge, but. For the most part, for the future, I'm hoping that it's going to be brighter. I think that there's a lot of optimist, uh, optimism out there to be able to push through all of this, get back to whatever is going to be normal. I mean, we ne- might never handshake again, or I, like, but that's a generational thing for the kids to get over. Um, I, I still shake hands and you know, and, and we do what we need to do. Um, but now it's like, well, do you, how you feel comfortable? Do I, should I take this off? Do I put this on? I think that, and, and I've always been like that anyways. Um, but hopefully more people don't go the route of like, put your fucking mask on and yeah. do, do all this stuff. Like, especially if it does get lessened and, um, you know, if somebody, if somebody wants to wear a mask, wear a mask, if they don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. As long as it's, ma- it's not mandated, then it's okay. And ho- hopefully it doesn't mo- cause more chaos and more, you know, more, uh, <laughs> uh emotional ruptures, you know, um. Because that's the last thing we want. Like, I, it's not like I want to go out to the table and, you know, and uh, have to talk to somebody to put your mask on, you know. But if a guest right next to him wants it and it is mandated, then we have to have those conversations with people and, and, and hopefully that's not in our future.
0: Yeah. How has the response been from Downey itself to Paper Pizza? I mean, how has the kind of feedback from the community been? Because again, it hasn't been that long. Like you said, November, you know, October. Obviously, you wanted to do it in March, but what's the initial feedback been like?
1: Oh, people love it. Like we're, people love it. Uh, they can say there has been just like anything else, you yeah. know, you get, this was a pizza spot before. So I think that kind of cut, hurt a little bit at the very beginning, um, to where it was a, one of those $8 pizza spots. Mm-hmm. We changed it around. Um, and we have some people coming back believing that it's the same thing. And that was more like a, a suicide style pizza where it's like, oh nine $9. You can put whatever you want on this whole, yeah. you know, this, this, this whole, uh, box right here. But it, for the most part, it's, it's been pretty good. Like people, people like it. You know, we have almost 6,000 followers, almost 7,000 now, uh, followers on Instagram and, and on Facebook. So it's definitely growing. And we have, we have our, we have people that, that drive down, you know, from Riverside to come and eat it, you know, once a week. So, you know or from glendale and we we have those customers uh but it's just it's the thing that we have here is still the experience thing because it's also too we have good food and, yeah. we, and we don't have that virally affect food right now like much like i have over at the restaurant because at lock and key mm-hmm. uh so it's harder for just good food to grow uh, as far as for word of mouth, yeah. um, even though we have the nice pictures and the videos and everything. Um, but it, it's harder for that to happen, you know, in a marketing aspect. Yeah. Um, and people just don't really know about us yet. You know, I wanna to briefly
0: touch on Lock and Key. Um, I'm a massive, massive kind of cocktail fan. Anybody who knows me knows that spirits and cocktail culture is kind of my passion, aside from everything else, that's my passion with this hospitality industry. It's, it, it, cocktails are a big one for me. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask while I've got you here, what was it like the first time that you brought that craft experience into Downey and kind of introducing that? Because it's one thing to introduce kind of pizza, but pizza, I think some people understand. The moment that you put, a, you know, a fifty-fifty martini and a Nick and Nora glass in front of somebody and they get the little, you
1: know, the coupe and everything else, what was that experience like? Well, it's definitely, it, it's it, it, there's a trade-off here and there by who the customer is and who the demographic is and, and you know, their understanding. But it it, I mean, I had... Yeah, you know, it's roller coaster. It's just like yeah. life. There's there's uh, super highs and super super lows. You know, put it in a Nick and Nora glass. It's um, you you said a 50 50. I would say out of all the guests I've ever had that ever came to the restaurant over there, when I had to make a martini or a you know a 50 50 or and nobody even knows what a martini is really. You know, it's like oh, it's called martini because there was only martini and Rossi so long ago that they mm-hmm. would grab the martini bottle off. And that's the reason why it's called a martini. So it's no real martini glass. It's just a cocktail glass. And so being a fellow geeky person like that, like I understand all those things. And I think that stuff's cool. But a lot of people don't. Yeah. Like, so we'll get, oh, I want a double, you know, uh, shaken Belvedere up martini. Like, okay, so you want to, like we just had this conversation the other day was like oh, so you want a fucking shot like you want a sh- you want a chilled shot yeah that's all it is yeah you just want a glass of cold vodka right and it's yeah. like okay well, well we have we could put it in this other glass no i want it over this but yeah it's too big and there was always that back and forth when i was when i first started i was kind of like no this is how it has to come because it was it was going like i wanted to kind of change the thing we were very mm-hmm. bucket of beers city yeah it was it is what it is and, and i've got flack for saying that but it was it, it is what it is like uh, there was Acapuco and major chain restaurants. And and we had a couple mom and pops, um, but nobody really went the cocktail route, you know. So it, it was very big bucket of beers. And we were now getting people to order old fashions. You know, the we get very few of those those style of cocktails, um, just like a Manhattan. We'll get people that have a Manhattan that have heard about it. You know, it's kind of, like, it's been out there a lot more now yeah. than, than before, but before nobody knew what that was. Nobody w- knew what a Sazerac was. Nobody knew, like, even, uh, we had a, we started off with a Mai Tai, I had to take the fucking thing off the menu, because everybody was thinking that it was going to be, had the pineapple on the float, and the uh, Myers dark rum on it, and think that they, that what they're getting in, in Hawaii yeah. is, is a Mai Tai, you know, as opposed to the orgeat, the, the um, almond syrup with lime juice, and... And it just you have to pick and choose your battles. you know It's like I can keep going that way, but uh, all right, if we kind of slowly, I'll just take that off the menu and reintroduce something off on, onto it. Same thing as like we have we have one one, so I do a Long Island kind of thing. Uh, because everybody was asking for it and I don't do any blue drinks over there for sure. Like that's just one of the kind of the craft cocktail thing, like no fucking blue drinks. <laughs> so I haven't gone down that road, route ra- road. Um, we got a lot of Midori sours in the very beginning. It was like, okay. So we had to try to find, I never bought, uh, Midori for a while. Uh, we were trying to find the right kind of, uh, uh liqueur that we wanted to use for that. I mm-hmm. ended up just like, well, fuck it. I don't want to have to keep fighting with people cause they would say, this is not a Midori sour. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's still about making like vodka pays the bills, right? Yeah. Like that's what we always say. If, if, and I have a whiskey, uh, you know, restaurant. So vodka always pays the bills. So you got to kind of you got to kind of play into who your customer is. And because now we were the craft cocktail, uh, you know, uh, restaurant there, and now that we've gotten more acclaim, and we're getting people to drive in, and we're more of a destination restaurant, that even hurts the craft cocktail scene more. Because then you have outsiders coming in that don't, that hear about the steak or these other things and they don't really understand craft cocktailing, you know, and, and, and that's a battle for sure. So you kind of have to change up your beers. And I, at one point I had 150 different beers. Like we were a beer Mecca too. I had 12 that's rotating brave. draft lines. I had a hundred over 120 cans, uh, bottle and can, and I have a huge refrigerator for that. And you could slowly see that, that people are kind of getting out of this 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 craft, you know, beer scene too, um, and it's died down. And then you have to kind of switch it and bring it down. But you've always got to be, like I said earlier, adapt or die. Yeah, got to kind of move around. And there is an education process. But at what point are you gonna, are you, get, how much ego? I don't have any real ego. Uh, people say you have to to be in this business. I I kind of don't like. I played a lot of baseball, you know. So for me, it was be the utility player, be wherever I needed to go. So that's the same thing that I do and how I live my life right now in the restaurant business too. It's like, okay, well, I can't be all things to all people, but I can make as many people as happy as possible. And if this is a trend or this is something that's really happening and going on, then I can go ahead and adjust myself and be okay with with, with making people happy. Because at the end of the day, every time I have to go to the table to try to teach somebody, it's taking me away from having a good conversation with somebody. And I don't always want to do that. And a lot of times people just want to go out and have a good time. You know, and we have our, we, we just have to pick and choose what I put out there in order to be able to make, still be a little bit of myself at the same time of, of giving them people what they want that don't want to learn, yeah. you know, cause they're out there. Like they're out there. They're rigid. They're the one person out of Very eight much. fucking people at a table. They probably have a hell of a Yelp account too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've learned a lot by being able to go up and talk to the guests and, and trying to maneuver that and. You know complaining about oh the steak is is It's like, okay well, what temperature would you like it to have it come out at? Oh, I want it medium rare. I was like uh, or medium, yeah, that's more of the case. okay, medium well what what temperature is that because I can I can hit a temp. I can't hit a color. yeah, so you want it at 1 138. I'll bring it out at 138. that's get right on the cut that's that's over medium rare going into medium. Like, and, and we have a cast iron, so it's going to continue to cook, you know, so tell me that, but you know, oh, I want it red. Well, your red and my red and my cook's red are two totally different things. Completely. So that's that whole thing of, all right, cool. We'll just bring out another one. You know, like you got to learn to pick your battles, um, and, uh, and kind of, and kind of ride the wave, you know, a little bit. And so it, it's definitely hard trying to get people to want to learn. Um, But if you have a good atmosphere and people are learning, you can see kind of people's like uh, premonitions or their past kind of like let loose a little bit when they are inside. Outside is a whole totally different thing Um, when they're sitting at the bar top and they have a guest now say, or does the same thing the way that we would like to do it. And they, they talk and then it's kind of social proofing to be like, oh, okay, well, Maybe I'll open up a little bit, and then they'll try something new.
0: But it's got to make it worth it a little bit when you see the look on someone's face when they bite into your pizza, and they kind of realize, "Oh, okay, I get it."
1: Yeah, this is different. Like yeah. this is not this is not just regular pizza that they're doing here. Like no, we're 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 paying attention. We're we you know we do have we we didn't go for um, the the wood fired grill the wood fire oven here. Just we wanted more consistency, and we wanted and. and that that takes a long time to learn just to stoke the fire and get it ready i mean you know to to really do that to master that is, is crazy you know yeah. you know you have to have the time in it um and we wanted to open up we wanted to get it going and we didn't want to have too much overhead by bringing in new uh bringing in new equipment so we kept it's here and it works great but there's a lot of labor of love in this you know and when they do finally bite into the crust and understand what we do and, and cause we take the crust and we actually roll, we pull it out and then we roll it up. So it kind of puffs up a little bit more mm-hmm. cause I like crust, you know, and I wanted crust that my kids eat yeah, that my kids would eat. So when we actually roll it over, the sauce goes up underneath the crust instead of it coming to it. So that was kind of our little thing that we did that was a little bit different. So it gets kind of chewy on the inside cause that, that sauce kind of steams up and helps it to kind of puff up. Um, so, for me, I was really more I was more deal, detailed into how does the crust taste um, because the pizza, the inner parts of the pizza you know are all use clean, easy ingredients you don't try to overthink it, and it comes out great. You well, know? your passion's there, man I mean
0: you're out here doing God's work to the people and introducing cocktails and and good proper pizza on top of everything else. I know that you're a bit very, well, obviously a very busy man, kids (laughs) and all the restaurants and everything else. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. If people want to follow you, follow the restaurants on social media, reach out, kind of figure out more information. Where can people do that?
1: So for the restaurant for Paper Pizza, we're paperpizza.co.co. For Lock and Key, it's LKSD Kitchen. Um, And for me, myself, it's Idea Machine Co.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the hell out of your time. I'm gonna let you run, but this was absolutely awesome, and uh, I'm fired up, man. It's, you're doing good things out here.
1: Yeah, we hope to keep pushing through. Thank you so much for the time. I pre- really appreciate it, and you know, anytime we can do this again, I'm I'm, I'm here for you. Absolutely, right, I bro. appreciate it, man. Thank you. You have a
0: good one. Thank you to Mark Shelton for taking the time. Shout out to Bread and Butter PR for setting up um, this interview. They reached out and kind of help put this thing together, my friend Tara over there, so credit where it's due to them. Um, I hope you enjoyed the hell out of that episode. I enjoyed the hell out of recording it. I definitely enjoyed the hell out of the pizza, you know, up there, the food, the time, the knowledge, You know, being able to talk cocktails and food at the same time is pretty much my dream day. So yeah, that's a big one. Um, again, the last podcast recorded before Indoor Dining came back. There's so much information packed in there. Mark is a hell of a guy. I hope you give him a follow. Again, all the social media tags are in the show notes. Please go do that wherever you are listening. Thank you for the support. Thank you to Heirloom Potage and HireLilo.com, both respectively, for the sponsors for this show and all of you on Patreon for continuing to support. Patreon numbers have gone through the roof this last month. I cannot tell you how freaking grateful I am for that. All of you make this possible. None of this is, I'm not able to do any of it without you, plain and simple. I would be working some kind of office job in a sad cubicle, well, maybe not a cubicle because of COVID, but still a sad office job. I i, I don't want to do that. So the fact that all of you make this podcast possible and allow me to give people like Mark, you know, another outlet for their voice to be heard, their businesses to thrive, it just means the world. So thank you to all of you. Thank you to Mark for the time. Get out there, support restaurants, kick some ass, eat some good food, tip well, stay the hell off you—you know Yelp, live well and often. I'll see you soon. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash thebestseats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you, from the bottom of my heart, here are the supporters: Alexander Cook, Katie Cassie, Serena Warino, Eric Lutz, Cheryl McCarthy, George Pavlov. Thank you for your support.